There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, good morning and welcome back to the show about money. Hi-Fi Radio on the Global News Radio Network, 640 in Toronto. Jack Hartle, my wingman in the house. Uh, it's going to be a great show, as Jack and I always try to put together for you. Just that, a great show. Uh, but hey, before we talk about our guests, we got to talk about Covenant House. Yes, your host, Wolfgang Klein, has committed. I'm committed to sleeping on the streets of Toronto uh, to help a very, very important cause, homelessness amongst youth uh, for Covenant House. So uh, I set my bar at raising $15,000. I think I could actually do a lot more uh, because you, my listeners, are huge. And you are huge donors. Uh, you obviously like Jack and I. That's why you're listening. So help the cause. Uh, help youth. Uh, go to the website, Covenant House. CovenantHouse.ca, is it, Jack? Yeah, it's the sleep out that you're doing. It's uh, November the 15th. November the 15th is when I'm going to be sleeping on the streets of Toronto. And and don't forget, you do get the tax credit, obviously, when you when you contribute. So the more you contribute, the better. That's very important as well. Taxes are about 55% at the top end. So uh, yeah, you'll get basically half your money back. But uh, help me at least raise $15,000. I know we can do more. Uh, and the money will be put to a very, very good cause. Helping youth get shelter on a cold winter's night. Without further ado, we're going to talk with Scott Chan. He covers the big banks in Canada. We all love the Canadian banks. Uh, so welcome to the show, Scott Chan, analyst with Canaccord Genuity. Good to have you in the studio. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. So um, the, the number that stood out uh, with the, the bank's latest quarterly results was the Royal Bank. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it earned in excess of $2 billion, with a B, dollars yes. in the quarter, in three months. Yes. That behemoth of a company earned $2 billion. Um, so the stock trades at about $100. I trimmed a bit of um, the Royal Bank, uh, <laughs> I like saying this, uh, to buy some marijuana. Not to, <laughs> not to smoke, to invest in. Right. Uh, so again, uh, the date has now been set, October 17th, marijuana is legal. Yep. Uh, d- just for fun, uh, <laughs> next 12 months, what's going to outperform, banks or pot? Oh, that is a good question. I would say pot. <laughs> <laughs> well, not, not all pots equal, though. I'll have to say that. You know, if you want to take the basket approach, certainly the banks are more yeah. conservative. Uh, there's going to be a few big winners in the pot space, but I think there's going to be a lot of uh, losers. And you know, Bruce Linton yeah. talked about that when he was on the air with us. So you know, listeners beware. Be well, there's only six banks to choose from, and there's yeah. like how many pot companies to choose from in Canada? Too, too many in, in Canada alone, yeah. let alone globally speaking. So six banks is all we got to choose from here in Canada. You, you know, what's amazing, Scott, is uh, a lot of Canadian investors. I think the older investor, the the retirees, and 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 maybe even the octogenarians, but those in their uh, late 60s, early 70s, who have these buy and hold type portfolios Mm -hmm. with a real strong home bias, Canadian centricity, uh, very Canadian centric in other words, in their holdings. What I'm thinking about is is, is investors who, who own a lot of Canadian banks, they own pipeline stocks. They own Canadian utilities. They would own some Canadian insurance stocks, some Canadian oils, perhaps. Um, and if they own that basket of stocks, I think they've had a tough go for the last 
12 to two, 12 months to two, 24 months. Yes, the TSX is at, a, at an all-time high, but whoop-de-doo. Uh, I say that uh, sincerely because off the bottom of the financial crisis, the TSX is up about 100%. Sounds pretty good mm-hmm. uh, in 10 years to be up 100%. But the S&P 500 is up 300, north of 300% since the financial crisis. So uh, placing your bets south of the border has been the way to go. And that's really how Jack and I have played the Canadian banks. Uh, underweight Canadian banks, uh, overweight American banks. Part of uh, that trade for us too has been the uh, the U.S. dollar, the strength of the U.S. dollar. We were buying um, eagles or the U.S. dollar at par, and now obviously the the, the Canadian dollar is weak and significantly, and it's yeah. now down to like seventy five cents. So in terms of a hedge on uh, trade and Trump, mm-hmm. uh, the U.S. dollar has been uh, very good for us. So, so what's your take? For, first of all, as a Canadian investor who has a ton of Canadian banks in their portfolio, uh, we hear about housing crises, we hear about um, further restrictions on lending, we hear about consumer debt at record highs. Uh, is it still a safe? place to invest for the long-term investor? Yeah, absolutely. If you look at the buy and hold strategy in the Canadian banks over the past 15 years, they're up about 15% uh, total return. And and that's using the basket of the big six banks in total, including the dividend yields. In the past year, the banks are actually up, the big six banks are actually up 15% versus the TSX up 11%. Uh, Winners and losers, RBC has underperformed, TDs at the high end with National Bank. Uh, but I think going forward, especially near term, you'll probably see more range-bound uh, trading with the bank stocks. Typically, uh, heading into the summer season, banks underperform the TSX composite. And towards Q4, towards a lot of part of the year, banks seasonally outperform. So I would expect range-bound trading. Uh, over the coming months, but uh, but I think it should pick up in Q4. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about the uh, the global economy versus the Canadian economy. The global economy continues to chug along at a what Jack globally speaking GDP growth five percent I think is what the expectations are for global GDP three growth. to four three to four, uh, three, four. Yeah. Th- three to four. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're seeing a lot less here in Canada. Yeah, two. Um, and uh, specifically. Uh, too much debt on the consumer's balance sheets. Um, so you, you analyze the balance sheets a lot closer than Jack and I do with these Canadian banks. They're, they're complex structures. So mm-hmm. in terms of the debt levels of consumers' Canadian balance sheets, uh, is it alarming to you? Um, yeah, no, it is alarming. Um, but but that levels are coming down over the past few months, but, but from high levels. Um, I, I think investors or, or Canadians are a bit more prudent and are acknowledged of that and are paying down debt more recently, especially in the face of higher interest rate hikes. Uh, we've seen three rate hikes over the past uh, year, and we expect the next one in July, uh, and probably a couple more over the next 12 months after that as well. In so, Canada. In Canada. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think the average Canadian is, is, is wary of that. Um, if housing prices continue to go down, you'll probably see a bit more pressure on the, on the Canadian consumer. Um, but it, but it's stabilized for now, and I think the GTA market specifically, because that's what everyone cares about. Uh, I, I think pricing will stabilize from uh, from from very low levels over the past six seven months. Yeah, the no, prices of real estate certainly in the GTA feel relatively firm, uh, much to my chagrin, because I, I expected more of a correction, not seeing just yet in the GTA. But look, mm-hmm. we got Scott Chan in the studio. He is the analyst, uh, Canadian banks and financials here in Canada, a big part of everyone's portfolio. So uh, yeah, you certainly want to pay attention to what Scott has to say. And he's basically saying Canadian banks probably go sideways for a little bit, but at least you get to collect your dividend. I do want to talk about uh, recourse versus non-recourse loans, because uh, us Canadians do tend to pay back our debt uh, regardless of our uh, employment and financial conditions. As long as we can pay it back, we tend to do just that mm-hmm. versus American counterparts. But uh, we're going to pay some bills around here, Scott, so stay tuned. Uh, Hi-Fi Radio will be right back with Scott Chant in a few minutes. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. 
Yes, crime doesn't pay. You know, the irony is, I think Canadians would think that the banks are actually robbing us as opposed to us robbing them. <laughs> you know, truth, truth be told. Well, you're talking about the billions they make in quarters. Those, two, those two monthly billion? fees, they certainly add up, right? That's not all their business, obviously, but, uh, you know. Uh, they like got... Transaction fees, yeah. I mean, they, they collect off everything, right? It's it's true. But I want to talk about recourse. So this is something I learned a number of years ago. And um, legislation in Canada versus America is very, very different when it comes to when it comes down to uh, loans and loan repayment. Um, in America, Americans could walk away from a negative equity situation. In other words, if their home was underwater, if they owed more than their home was worth, they could literally just walk away from it, basically declare bankruptcy, and within a short order, reapply for a loan. Here in Canada, walking away from a home that's underwater, with the exception of Alberta, because I think, that is that provincially legislated or nationally federally legislated? Um, I think it's nationally. I thought because I, I know in Alberta, people were walking away okay. know, back in the early 80s. Maybe they changed the legislation. But okay. long and short, Canadians don't walk away from their debt, even if they're underwater, even if the, the ability to pay uh, is extremely challenged. And mm-hmm. as such, on the, the balance sheets of the Canadian banks, loan losses, which yeah. is a very, very important metric that you pay attention to each and every quarter. What have you seen in terms of banks' loan losses? those who aren't paying back their loans. Yeah, I mean, it's you know it's a bit mixed um, across the board in the Canadian banks, but generally they are pretty stable. Uh, in some cases like TD, they talked about the Canadian portfolio being better, uh, quarter of a quarter in the outlook being better. Um, CIBC would be at the opposite end of that. But generally, I think the outlook over the next 12 months is, is stable credit, uh, stable provisions, and, and you're talking about losses, Wolf. Yep. Um, yeah, and default. They, and default. And they're actually at historically low levels um, since so, the financial crisis. So, so what, crisis what are now. those levels on mortgages? Give us, a, give the listeners a percentage. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. it's very small. Correct. Yeah. So, so on $100 mortgages, how much of that would default people wouldn't pay back? I think it's less than so 1%, two, isn't it? Two beeps. So two beeps. So one-hundredths of a percent. Exactly. Two one-hundredths of a percent. So not even 1% of mortgages nope. default. <laughs> Two out of a hundred, two, two out of a thousand, two out of a thousand, two out of a thousand. Yeah. That's right. Two, two That's out right. of a thousand. So is that twenty cents on a hundred bucks? Is that what it is? That, That'd be twenty beeps. No, it's two cents. Two cents. Two cents. Two cents on a cents on hundred bucks. Yeah. No, two cents on a dollar. It'd be two cents. Two on cents a dollar. Yeah, exactly. Two cents on it. Twenty cents. No, I'm, on no, 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 two no, cents. Two cents on a hundred. Two cents on a hundred. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Basis point. Boy, oh boy, it makes it challenging. Historically, it's been about four cents or four beeps. Like historically, if you look through back in the data, 35, 40 years ago. So. So four one hundredths of one percent default. And in America, what's the number? Do you know? Oh, I don't know. It's a lot higher. It's a lot higher. Different. Yeah. I think it's one or two. It might even be as high as one or two percent. I think you're right. Yeah. So if it's one percent higher, that's actually fifty times higher default in America than in Canada. Yeah. Uh, incredible. So the balance sheets of Canadian banks, safe. Uh, the, w- w- would you feel comfortable in Canada? Again, GIC rates have risen recently. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of talk about, you know, for good reason. GICs are guaranteed up to $100,000. Would you feel comfortable, Scott, if you had a windfall of money uh, buying one GIC with, say, $500,000? If I made a windfall of money and I, and I, and I had nothing to deploy in, yeah. um, I would uh, I would probably look at real estate instead of a GIC. No, but my, my question is, uh, would you feel comfortable if, yeah. if you had no choice but put, putting your money into a GIC over $100,000? We'll talk about oh, default, oh, default oh, risk yeah. of the Canadian oh, banks. Yeah, yeah. I, I would. Yeah, 100% I would. You would. Yeah. You, you, no, no worries. You'd, no. you'd buy that over the actual bank bond, which probably yields a lot lower, has liquidity, but yields a lot lower. I mean, I, I would probably go with the latter, but I think older people would be more comfortable with GICs, I mean, I'm I'm a bit more of a risk, you know, I'm I'm more I'm more of a risk taker and want more income. GIC rates are still low, relatively low compared to historical standards. 
Um, so let's talk about the, about the importance of the real estate market for Canadian banks. Canadian banks are very diversified businesses. They have multiple silos. So beyond real estate, uh, what are the areas of the economy are helping the Canadian banks continue to succeed? Um, you know, the biggest thing is commercial. So business growth in Canada uh, is very, very robust. We're, we're seeing double-digit loan growth. Um, over the past year, and I think the outlook is is, is still centered around double-digit growth. Uh, wealth management, asset management is very strong. Um, it's buoyed by, you know, not just Canadian markets, but global markets, U.S. equity markets. Uh, the banks have strong distribution capabilities, uh, so they get a lot of net net inflows, and, and it's very tough for outside competitors to, to, to compete against the banks because they have a lot of point-of-sale contacts in the branches with advisors, with brokers, etc., uh, and then capital markets, you know, capital markets is a bit lumpy. Uh, last quarter was a bit lumpy, but, uh, you know, Royal and, and, and some of these cap, uh, bigger firms are, are diversifying outside of Canada and the U.S. market is obviously a, a bigger place for capital. Markets. And that's the key thing, I think, for these Canadian banks yeah. is they've got to go global. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got to go to the U.S. markets because we talk about, you know, Canada being a, a low growth environment. So if they want to get that, obviously, a higher valuation, they got to look elsewhere outside of Canada. So look, in the interest of time, Scott, uh, the six banks to choose from, pal, uh, you're not going to throw a dart, uh, but pick one. Your favorite bank, 12 months going forward. Yeah, favorite bank, you know, go with strength and go with TD, even though it's outperformed. It's at an all-time um, high. It's at an all-time high. And that's, yeah, is that because, of its, that's because of its U.S. exposure, isn't it? Exactly what Jack said. It's got about 35% exposure to the U.S. U.S. valuations are going higher, and that's helping out TD stock. Um, and the Canadian operations are very solid, too, in, in terms of the... Uh, the PNC banking, the wealth, and, and the capital markets, all, all outstanding results last quarter. And uh, do you have an opinion? I know you don't follow closely the U.S. banks. In other words, you don't do full analysis on the U.S. banks. But uh, would you favor U.S. banks over Canadian banks? That's what Jack and I have been doing. I, I would I would near term still. Over the next two quarters, I would favor U.S. banks over Canadian banks. Yeah, So, yeah. And, and you're comfortable with the likes of a J.P. Morgan? Uh, yeah. Yeah, they've bank, all pulled bank, back. Bank of, bank of America, Citigroup, Goldman. I I think the basket is, is I, still very strong near term. I think our next guest, Tony Dwyer, is going to echo that uh, comment as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to do just that, Scott. We're going to kick you out of the studio, pal. Let you go home. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We're going to get Tony Dwyer in, and he's in New York, and he is our chief strategist of Canico Ingenuity. And it is well, it's summer. Yes, indeed, it is summer, my good friends. And you know what they say: sell them, may go away. Uh, Tony Dwyer is going to say nay to that statement. Uh, so stay tuned. Phone's Tony's a bright guy. He's going to help educate you and hopefully, well, give you a few ideas to put some more money into your pocket right here on the Global News Radio Network, 640 in Toronto. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Well, Jack Hartle says he ain't seen nothing yet. That's what Tony Dwyer says as well, I believe. We have Tony Dwyer on the line. He is in New York City, and he is our chief strategist uh, with Canaccord Genuity. Uh, Tony, it's always a treat to have you on Hi-Fi Radio. Thank you very much for joining us. What a great song to start the show, Wolfie. Thank you, Jack. Well, yeah, Jack sure. picked that one. That's that's CanCon, Canadian content. Buddy, I know the I know the brains behind the operation. Come on. Okay, okay. <laughs> and you've also learned who the Tragically Hip was on the show, correct? <laughs> All right. Um, so, Tony, uh, CNBC, I think they called you the biggest bull on Wall Street. That was just this week, yeah. Absolutely. How do you feel about that, being called the biggest bull on Wall Street? 
And it's very interesting because I, when I do that, I don't do it in a traditional Wall Street marketing style where I'm trying to get my name out there. I, I would rather be in the middle of the pack, but the data just doesn't support it. It just doesn't support it. The, the market is, has done nothing on the S&P 500, so the multiple has actually – if you look at this year's earnings, you would have to have – because we're in the middle of the year and, and CEO, small business, and consumer confidence is still near a record, you would need some kind of economic – Armageddon, some, something way more serious than trade warfare to get my 160 number to be wrong. So whether we go at 19 times earnings or 20 times earnings, either way, it's, it's you know double-digit levels up from here through the end of the year. So in terms of Armageddon, let's talk about that, Tony, because the, the TSX, the Toronto Stock Exchange, uh, just hit an all-time high. But the Wolfman is not excited by that. You know why? Because yes, the TSX has really lagged uh, international markets. Uh, off the low in the financial crises, the TSX since that point, about 10 years ago, is up 90 to 100%. Sounds okay, but uh, against your market, the S&P 500, the low of it, and this number just is unbelievable, the low of the S&P 500 in the financial crises, Tony's, was 666. And that's where the market in the States stopped falling, found a footing, and decided to rally up to the point of, what, 2,800 on the S&P, which is a north of a 300% gain in 10 years. So our 100% gain has been dwarfed by your north of 300% gain. Uh, so you still think that we ain't seen nothing yet? There's more to come? Well, at, at first, I think you got to round it up. I'm not a religious guy, but don't. I think it's 667. I'm always going to use that number as the low. Um, but, uh, you know, the reason for that, Wolfie, is that the U.S. has been an economy that's done very well. Well, very well. It's done better than the global economy. If you think about what we've experienced in the last 10 years, we've had multiple years with a European debt crisis. We had a Chinese real estate crisis. We had an emerging um, market commodity crisis. And finally, we had the global synchronized recovery that, that took place over the last couple of years. And now that that's getting choppy, it's got people a little bit nervous. But ultimately... What really has happened to both the TSX as well as the, the other markets that are, are driven in many ways by commodities is you've, you've had this, this global slowdown from the last cycle. You're just not replicating the last boom cycle for international economies and commodities. And that, as a result, is causing the U.S., which is a service-based economy, to do that much better. Huh, interesting. And because it's been a slow recovery, uh, Tony, um, does that mean it can go on for longer then? Because there's no inflation well, out there, or there's relatively no inflation. Well, there's a, that's the fear, Wolf, is that there is inflation that, that is coming down the pipe because the U.S. is certainly in a full employment recovery, and typically that has led historically to inflation fears. Not really showing up in the data yet, which is kind of interesting. Um, it's put the Federal Reserve in a little bit of a conundrum because they keep raising rates in fear that inflation's about to pick up. And it hasn't been picking up that dramatically. So, you know, it, it, it remains to be seen. But even the main driver of a recession in the U.S. is when credit shuts down. And we're still at least two years from that. So I asked Jack a question this morning because he has the economic background. Um, and I said, Jack, uh, uh, with Trump talking tough on tariffs, um, he starts slapping on tariffs, 50 billion here, 100 billion there. Uh, ultimately, the consumer pays for that. So, A, I think it sounds inflationary to me, but then B, if prices go up, the economy would slow down. So my question to you, Tony, is um, with these tariffs, what is it going to do to long-term interest rates and hence the 10-year Treasury yield? Because Jack said, well, that's a good question to ask Tony. So there you go. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, um, it is a good question. Jack is 
does a great job with this stuff. Um, basically, if inflation's going up, but interest rates are matching it to try and stave it off, the, the more aggressive that the Fed gets, and the reason that the 10-year note yield has dropped over recent, the recent couple of weeks is because the Federal Reserve increased the number of interest rate expectations they were going to have this year. So if you're increasing interest rates, that is a long-term disinflationary move because you're trying to slow down the economy, right? So you would think that short rates would stay high, but the long rates would come down. And that's ultimately how you invert the yield curve, which means short-term rates go higher than long-term rates. And that's what shuts down the credit market. Yeah, this is what uh, I want to remind to the audience, because again, we all have bank savings accounts at the bank and the bank pays you virtually nothing. We call it 50 basis points today, which is a half a percent. And so if they pay you a half a percent, but then can lend it to your neighbor on a mortgage at say 3%, they make a spread of two and a half percent. So if they take the short-term interest rates above say two and a half percent, they're not going to be incented to lend you money because they won't make any money uh, on it. So that's the importance of the yield curve. And it's a, it's a weird phenomenon, but it's a very, very important phenomenon. I know Tony Dwyer pays an awful lot of attention to. Look, we're going to uh, pay some bills around here, run some information messages from our sponsors uh, and get right back to Tony Dwyer in New York City right after this. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Well, it started out down a dirty Hey, Jack, I got a question for you. Is that because Tony actually flies an airplane or because the market's flying? Or both? Jack picked that song, by the way, folks. I like that. It's good. Tom Petty. <laughs> oh, well, wait, well, wait, Tony's wait. a pilot and the market's going higher, so I'd say both. Pop quiz here for you, Tony, because the rumor on Bay Street was you came up from New York and you actually flew your own plane to Toronto. Is that true? You, you, you come land over there in the Toronto Harbor? I have no comment. <laughs> but that, that is, like, if I knew that, Tony, I would have hopped in your little plane and gone for a little spin with you. I think that's back to so, New York. Oh, somewhere. <laughs> Go to my cottage, perhaps. Go up to Lake Muskoka, see Jack's. You know, Jack's dad flies a bit, too, eh? But it's not a biplane. It's not a, a seaplane. Can't land on the on the water. Oh, you're always your. You got a big field out there, don't you? Want? Well, I had my car. I got yeah, a little field. Yeah. Right. Oh, I wouldn't mind getting a we'll helicopter. Talk about that after the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Jack, Jack had a couple for you here. Yeah, you just referenced the uh, the U.S. economy is obviously firing at all cylinders. Small business um, is confidence has never been higher. Um, if there ever was a time for Trump to have a trade war, I guess this would be it, just because the economy is so strong and they've got a lot of muscle to flex. Um, how do you see these trade wars playing out, and what do, you, what do you make of Trump? It's a really great question, Jack, because right now it's not a trade war. It's a fear of a trade war. Clearly, you have steel and, and aluminum tariffs that are in place. Um, but I, you know what? I, you guys know I love to do this. In my opinion, I try to not use my opinion because so many times it's wrong, and I use the data and what the historical precedent is, right? Mm-hmm. So when we look at what, how the markets thus far are reacting to this, you're making multi-year lows in the Chinese stock market, and you're making multi-year highs in the U.S. stock market. Is the, you know, that's interesting, Tony, because so, I was just at a so society of technical to point what, that out. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I no, mean, I just, no, like, no, that's an interesting point Chinese because investors are very clear on who they think is winning. Isn't that so? Yeah, that doesn't alarm you that uh, you don't find that to be a canary in the coal mine. China's stock market's making new, not new lows, but it's trending well, lower and the S&P keeps yeah. trending higher. I would say that it would be a canary in the coal mine if it was associated with a collapse in commodity prices, but it's not. You don't have a collapse in commodity prices. It's you it, have commodity it, prices that have come down a little bit from peak, but they're still pretty stable. Yeah, they're firm, no so doubt. Where you, 
where you're worried about global growth, which is ultimately what we're getting at here, it's typically not going to be tariff and trade-based. It's going to be demand-based. Now, clearly, tariffs and trade can affect that, but I have no idea how to advise your listeners or you guys as, as, as top guys at the firm. How do you advise somebody on a fear? It's not reality. And what we, so far, what we've had, though, what's real, is that you've had weakness in the U.S., banks and the U.S., the big banks and the U.S. industrials. And I got to attribute, attribute the industrial weakness to fear of the trade war. So it's real. It's having an impact. But we got to see it actually come to fruition before I would say change your portfolio based on it. Yeah. And the other thing that's real in the U.S. economy is they, they had tax reform and that was policy that was implemented. And you saw um, what happened with that last quarter and earnings were up 25, 26 percent. Revenue is up 7%. So that, that's the real economy, and that's you know tax reform that's actually in place. It's not a fear of a trade war. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that, that's, that's going to a... continue. That's, this year, you're going to have, over the course of the next three quarters, over 20% earnings growth based on the consensus and my forecast. So the, the, that's where I'm talking about where the valuation of the market. People say the tax, because the market hasn't done that great on the S&P anyway, that the tax legislation is already discounting the market. And I would say the opposite. I think, I think instead of discounting the positives, the market is currently discounting the negatives of the slower global growth and the trade fear. And if you get a reversal of that, look out to the upside. The risk is to the upside because you are going to have that greater than 20% earnings growth. Good. Well, that's exactly, you know, it's amazing because your, your unemployment or American unemployment is what, 3 0.8%, I believe. Uh, I, I've never seen such a print. 3.8% unemployment. Um, let's, let's go back to Canada, the, the Canadian banks versus the U.S. banks, because we just we had Scott Chan in, our, our Canadian bank analyst at Canaccord, and uh, we discussed U.S. versus Canadian banks, and uh, Scott agrees investors should probably uh, favor U.S. Uh, financial centers over Canadian financial centers, but year-to-date, the U.S. financials are not really working out that well. They're down about 5 6% in aggregate. But they, they did have a rally at the end of last year, so you have to... Pay attention to that. So, so Tony, in terms of the U.S. financials, again, the, the, the recent weakness we had, cause for alarm or cause to buy? I, again, I think you have to break it down a little bit further. A lot of the insurance-based financials are getting smoked because the long end's coming down. But if you look at the regional bank index for the U.S., it's had a great year so far. So I think you have to be careful. International-based equities are having difficulty because of all the trade war rhetoric. No question. Yeah. Um, But I think when you break it down to, you know you have a big global problem when commodities are significantly weak. You know you have a big U.S. problem when all the banks are going down. It's just not the case. Isn't that interesting? Tony, the uh, the other good news I'm hearing out of America is Donald Trump is going to reunite some families, some Mexican families, let the kids get back to uh, their parents. And George Clooney, by the way, donated $100,000 uh, to help that good cause. So uh, it's amazing because Trump talks tough, and then he comes across almost looking like a nice guy from Rocket Man to putting his arm around King Jong. It's the, the art of the deal. The art of the deal. Um, but you know something, There's Tony? never anything wrong with doing the next right thing at any time. No, I agree with you, but you know, you know something? At, at, at the end of it all, uh, rhetoric, put it aside. What Jack and I like to do is a bit of Peter Lynch style. Uh, walk through a, a concourse and look at lineups. And when I see lineups at McDonald's, when I see lineups at Starbucks, yeah. when I see all the cars on the road and the building going on, uh, you, you got to think that the economy has a pretty strong pulse. And I certainly feel that boots on the ground. Small cap uh, and, and small business uh, 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 sentiment uh, is peaking. It, it continues to go higher. Uh, well, so. well, what I think you want to, what I really want to convey to our client base, Accord Genuity, and 
you guys and especially your listeners is I think people have really underestimated how bad the high tax anti-business sentiment under the prior administration was for business. People and companies, small or large, did not want to invest in their businesses for fear of increased taxation, increased uh, regulation. The reversal of that under this administration has been extraordinary. And that is what is creating the significant capital spending that ultimately should end up with higher productivity and higher stock prices with earnings. Yeah, and as soon as you began that statement, my my eyebrows popped. Jack took out his pen quickly, handed me some cheat notes here, which I don't need on this one here, because because what you're getting rid of, we inherited, my good friend, uh, our, our business sentiment in Ontario. Yeah, it must be so dire. Uh, boy, oh boy. Well, a tale of two markets, and uh, Tony Dwyer, always a pleasure to, uh, shall I say, uh, walk hand-in-hand hand with you uh, up and down Wall Street. is a real treat, my good friend, uh, and a real pleasure. Uh, wish you a good same, weekend, my good friend. Here. Have a great day, guys. Good job, Wolfie and Jack. Thank you. Coming up next, well, we're going to talk the business of hockey, uh, and uh, yeah, uh, you may want to reconsider uh, having your kid become a hockey star. No, no, no. we got Nick Boyton coming in the line to talk about uh, the challenges he has faced as a NHL superstar right after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio. We got Nick Boynton on the line. Nick, was that you? That song? <laughs> yeah, I didn't go to school, though. <laughs> yes, you did. Jack told me you did. Jack, I, yeah, we had a few classes you, 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 together. No, Come you, on. Jack told me a great story about you. I love this story, Jack. Uh, when you said that the teacher asked, and one of your teachers asked yeah. the students. The, in, what, in high school, so it's not like we we're kids at the time. Yeah, everyone I mean, wants to be an NHL yeah. player. Well, I, I, and, no, and, I wouldn't have put my hand up saying I want to be a hockey star. Not yeah, possible. But when but, you're in grade four, everyone says I want to be a hockey no, player. No, but the story was, eh, Nick, that your, the teach, one of your teachers asked all the students what you want to be when you grow up, and you put up your hand and said... You want to be a hockey player? I wanted to be a hockey yeah. player. This, this hockey is grade player. 11. Grade 11. And your teacher's response was? Oh, he went absolutely off on me. He thought that was a terrible idea and I needed a backup. And I just always told people I had the farm as a backup. <laughs> he, he was really looking out for you. My, I never asked my dad if I had a job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, your dad put you to work. I know but he, he was really looking out for your best interest, though, Nick. Because you know what? The, the probabilities oh, of making it to the NHL and doing what you did. Um, you know, not too many people do it, right? So, so Nick, look. A oh, couple... I mean, that, that... go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I was just just in the interest of time because I, I I do want to get into this story here of yours because it's it's a big story, my friend. Uh, so first, I really want to thank you for uh, joining us on the show. I want to thank you as a Canadian uh, for coming out with your story 
Um, a couple weeks ago, uh, I lost a friend of mine. His name was Anthony Bourdain. Yes, I never met the man personally, but he became my friend through my living room. My wife and I watched him every Sunday. I like food a lot. I like to travel. And he could write like no other person. I miss Anthony Bourdain. And we, the world is asking itself at this point in time, why did he do it? He had everything going for himself. Why did he commit suicide? Jack handed me your story a couple of weeks ago as you just finished drafting it before it got published, which has now recently been uh, published in the Players' Tribune. And I want to read the first uh, couple sentences. Uh, Honesty is the headline by Nick Boyden. I thought about death a lot over the past few years, about dying and what it might be like if I wasn't around. I've struggled a ton since I retired from hockey in 2011, and I faced a bunch of different personal demons over the years. But recently, I've been unable to shake the thoughts of Steve Matador, Wade Bellock, uh, Derek Bogard, and Rick Rippon. Uh, I knew these guys. They were real people. Um, by the way, if you're just tuning in, uh, we have Nick Boynton on the line, former NHL player, played for Boston Phoenix, uh, and uh, was a Stanley Cup champion uh, with Chicago. Uh, Nick Boynton, it's an absolute treat to, to have you in studio. And your good friend of Jack Cardle says you guys played a little pawn hockey what, back in 1989. In, uh, well, it wasn't just pond hockey. We won a few championships, but uh, certainly had some good yeah. memories. But uh, but this story, fits a, this shows the dark side of hockey, and uh, you know it, it's uh, it's been a challenge for Nick, I think, since retirement. Right? Yeah. So so let's talk about this, Nick, because and I, th- I really want to thank you for coming up because you know the national suicide line uh, yeah. has been has been well televised now, um, and you know you're not one of those statistics. Thank goodness. Um, so you're doing society a big favor by coming up, but this is not easy for you. I can tell it. it I read I read the story. It is it's dark. Uh, it's very, very dark. You really surprised Jack, I must say. Uh, I think you surprised a lot of uh, your, yeah. your close friends. Uh, well, I, I was going to say friends want to be able to do more, obviously, and, and help out Nick. But uh, it's it's been a challenge for him. But, um, you know, when I read the article, the thing that stood out to me, Nick, um, I grew up with you. Uh, you were an amazing hockey player. Uh, first round draft pick twice. Uh, Memorial Cup champion, MVP, Stanley Cup champion, NHL All-Star. So, I mean, you certainly didn't start out uh, the way the story ended with you, you know, scrapping a lot, fighting, head injuries and stuff like that. No. Um, and I really don't think that the te- the, the league took care of you because you didn't start out that way, but, you know, maybe it ended up that way. So I just wonder if you could, you know, walk us yeah. through how that happened. Well, uh, I mean, concussions are sort of something that's, you know, uh, difficult to deal with, but it, but it's something really that started young in my hockey career. Um, and I've had several, had several concussions way before I got to the NHL. Um, huh. but I guess my, my sort of issues with the NHL are just the lack of, uh, um, the lack of doing anything, uh, the lack of response, you know, guys, Guys struggle, and we struggle no differently than uh, anybody else in any other walk of life. Um, and it's funny, you know, in my business, I can go back, and my work has all of my injuries on videotape. And I can show you to the second where in, in times where I've got knocked out. And I can tell you that professional boxers, when they get counted out, do not get, you know, pulled off to, out of the ring, thrown some water on their face and get thrown back in the ring. They're done. You know, hockey players go back to the bench. They're not right, and they go back out there. I, I mean, it's just that's where the injuries, I think, really, really get worse is when guys get a concussion. It's not treated as a concussion. Their brain is injured. They go back out there. 
their timing's affected by a split second, and just bad things happen, and that damage compounds itself uh, in the brain, and it gets worse and worse, and it um, it, it sort of is, you know, different for everybody, obviously, and that's, I have such a hard time talking about it and describing it that I, I found, you know, getting it down on paper was probably the best way to organize my thoughts and, and sort of get a get a good picture of what was really going on. Uh, we're, we have Nick uh, Boyton uh, on the line, uh, NHL uh, all-star, superstar, name on the Stanley Cup, uh, released a uh, very dark story uh, in the Players' Tribune. Um, he also is committed to donating his brain to, uh, was it uh, to Boston's uh, Science of... Boston University, the Boston. Brain Clinic, yep. Mm-hmm. So, look, we're, we're going to dig deeper into the story uh, by Nick Boyden uh, right after pay a few bills right here on Hi-Fi Radio. Stay tuned, please. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hello out there, we're on the air, it's hockey night tonight. Tension grows, the whistle blows, and the puck goes down the ice. The goalie jumps and the players bump, and the fans all go insane. Someone roars, Bobby scores at the good old hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game. All right, welcome back, Hi. Hi-Fi Radio. Uh, we have Nick Boynton, uh, NHL star, on the line with us here, and a good friend of Jack Hartle, um... So the, the, the NHL's top paid player, Taze, making, what, $16 million. Sid Sidney Crosby making $16 million. Patrick Kane, $15 million. Ovechkin, uh, $15 million. Uh, the top 10 players, all but one of them, have received multiple concussions. <laughs> and the one who hasn't received concussions gave them out. And that, of course, is Ovechkin. Um, you played with him a number of times, haven't you? Have you received a, uh, yep. a couple of tough hits from that guy? No, oh, he's he's solid, and, and I mean he's he's a great hockey player, and that's sort of the way we think of of hockey is a guy who can score goals and and physically sort of dominate the game. But it, it's it's not easy, and, and I don't think you're ever going to make the game of hockey uh, safe. There's always going to be head injuries, but what I can't stand for is the NHL denying that there's a scientific link. Uh, let's sink the money into, um, you know, finding out what, what traumatic things happen to the brain, what they affect. I mean, there's, there's these treatments out there. Let's sink the money into it and try to make the game as safe as possible. It's never going to be a, a safe game. There's always going to be injuries. It's fast. It's, the guys are physical. But we've got to, you know, deal with the problem. You know, employees dying um, shortly after their work career is done in their early 30s, late 20s. That's not uh, acceptable in any business. Agreed. Wolf talked about uh, the top players there, all those guys. Uh, I think those were endorsement uh, plus salaries that they're talking about, you know, $15 yeah, million. Yeah. But either way, uh, they make a, a ton of money. They've all sustained, obviously, these head injuries. Um, but can you talk to yeah. us just about the, the pressure for, you know, the, the average NHL player, the guy that's making, I'm going to say average, but they're making a million, two million bucks, the pressure to stay in the lineup, yeah. uh, what these teams do to keep their players in the lineup, it's significant. Um, and I think that's part of the problem, too. Well, absolutely. And unfortunately, my generation, you know, that went through the lockout in 0405 and, and allowed the rollback and, uh, 
and the salary cap, whether that was coming or not, that's just affected it even more. The top four guys on every team, they get the money, and the bottom guys scrap it out. And it's very tough, you know, when you're a young guy. And you notice the league has gone way younger um, as far in terms of players and stuff. That's not an accident. That's Old guys get angry and old guys get injured. Young guys, you can cycle through. And some of them will be in and out of the NHL before they even understand what injuries they've got. It's the unfortunate thing about brain injuries. Sometimes they take a lot longer to manifest themselves. So the NHL's calculated in the way they're moving the direction of the game. I just think they, you know, they undercalculated the the human story here. I mean, there's an opioid epidemic going on in society and. You know, that's got to do with the brain and the way the brain changes with these drugs. And the NHL, you know, won't admit that getting hit in the head is could cause you a problem. I mean, there's definitely a disconnect between public perception and, and the league's take on this. And, and I think that's a great thing because it's, everything flows downhill. And until the NHL and the union start um, setting an example that is safe for children, you know, nothing is going to change. So um, what, what, what would you say to kids? Because I'm a, a hockey coach. Part of the reason I, I do that yeah. is because uh, the fun that we had as kids and our dads were out there coaching us. And it was you know, some, of the, some of the greatest memories that you have as a kid. Um, what do you say, yeah. I guess, to a kid uh, that is you know, starting to play hockey? There's no contact at that level. Um, but you no, know, has, has no. dreams of going to the NHL. Yeah. Well, first of all, I say you know, hockey is a beautiful game. Yeah. And I love it. It's a great game. And some of my best memories are with you and, you know, are with been together since we were three years old you know and that stuff I'll, I'll never forget but you played hockey and you played hockey in the OHL and yep. you could have gone further but did you think your health like honestly I'm asking you this do you think your health would have been good if you had gone and played hockey and played the game you knew you would have had to play which would have been physical and fighting yeah 100 percent hundred percent not uh, that, that's for you to continue yeah you know like I'm yeah. proud of you for doing what you did yeah it took me a while to speak up I just want parents to be aware. I, you know what? I'm not a doctor. I can't tell you what to do, yeah. but I want to make sure that people are aware of, you know, head injuries and don't just uh, sleep it off. Yeah. You know, be a good parent, be a good father, be a good, you know, mother. I'm just trying to bring awareness because it's a lot more serious than, you know, our, our professionals and our, and our league will, will lead on. You know, yeah, it's certainly not a, an easy decision to make to, to, you know, quit the game of hockey. And in my case, like you said, you know, my career would have been battling it out in the minors with the hope of maybe, you know, getting to the AHL or something like that. And at the time, it wasn't an easy decision right. for me to make, but uh, it was the right one. You know, get an education. We talked about it at the, the top of the uh, the hit there. Uh, get an education. Make sure you have options and alternatives, but uh, also get an education on, you know, brain injuries, head injuries, and what you're signing up for because it's, you know, uh, it's, certainly been a challenge for you and it's great that you're you know being vocal about it and uh, helping others and i think that's the biggest thing i can do right is i was a spoke in the wheel i'm not saying i was i was good or i need sympathy or whatever i was part of the problem but i i think just letting people know that there is a problem and these things do affect affect you know guys and unfortunately they've affected me seriously i just want to make you know people aware people like michael landsberg daniel carcello are doing great things and you know in toronto and that part of the world and, and i applaud them
Yeah. Uh, well, there's big money involved in the sport, uh, Nick, as you know, and uh, we need more players like you uh, and even those greater than you to speak up. Uh, but these teams are worth, you know, Toronto Maple Leafs worth, what, $1.4 billion. Sure, it won 13 Stanley Cups. It's been a little while, hasn't it? Uh, <laughs> Montreal, by the way. Number, <laughs> yes, 1967, the year. Uh, well, my wife was born. We're hoping. <laughs> Indeed, we are. Well, Nick, a real treat to have you on air. Um, you know, I, I hope this is a cathartic experience for you. I think it might be. Uh, Jack told me that's been an absolute outpour of love uh, and appreciation for your work uh, on this topic. Um, and you know something? I think you're going to hear a lot more on it. And you continue to uh, champion uh, and, 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 and pilot uh, the story because is very, very important uh, to all of us Canadians who do love that game of hockey. Uh, well, that's it for uh, Hi-Fi Radio, folks. I want to thank again Nick Boyton uh, for joining us on the show and all of our wonderful guests. And of course, most importantly, you, our listener. Stay tuned each and every Saturday morning, 7 to 8 a.m. on 640 in Toronto. Listening to Hi Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi Fi Radio for the love of money. We'll see you next week.